singing some of these songs, uh, singing our hymns and stuff, as, as you're thinking over uh, the passage and uh, going over and thinking about with Gideon, how can I fear Jesus is near? Um, Jason didn't know that when he picked that song for tonight. It's just neat to see how God works uh, through everything and bringing it all together. So um, maybe keep that in the back of your mind uh, as you're listening tonight. That song, keep that playing over in your mind. How can I fear Jesus is near as we look at the life of Gideon? Judges chapter 6. Um, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1, and we will read down through verse 10 uh, for right now, and then we'll uh, read down a little bit further later. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites. The children of Israel made for themselves dens and caves and strongholds, which the... um, which are in the mountains. So it was whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up, also Amalekites, and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. For they would come up against, come up with their livestock and their tents coming in numerous, as numerous as the locusts, both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land and destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel, who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also, I said to you, I am the Lord, your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So we start out tonight by looking at the situation Uh, surrounding the life of Gideon. And as we read further, that's when we will see Gideon appear on the scene. But right here in what we read, uh, right off the bat in chapter 6, it says, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of captivity. And because of their evil in the sight of the Lord, God took them rebelling against him He took their sin, brought upon them uh, not only captivity, but brought upon them uh, famine, uh, brought upon them defeat. And in here we get a wonderful reminder that our disobedience and our sin always bring consequences. Now, your consequences for your sin may not be as drastic as an enemy coming and taking over your home and causing your family to starve, but our sin always brings consequences. It always brings hurt. It always brings pain. And Israel struggled here with something uh, that we all struggle with. It's easy to come down hard on the children of Israel of we see God bless them and we see them turn back to worshiping idols. And how could they do that? But we all struggle 
with sin in our lives that one day we may see victory in, and the next day there we are seeking after that same sin that we know only brings destruction in our life. So here we see something in their lives that's very common to us as well, of seeing God give us victory, then falling back into sin. So we want to look, how can we avoid falling into sin in our lives? First of all, we need to know our danger areas, know where we are easily tempted, and run from that temptation. Uh, We look at the life of Joseph in Genesis chapter 39 and verse 12, when he is tempted, when Potiphar's wife is trying to get uh, Joseph uh, to come into her. And it says in Genesis 39 and verse 12 uh, that she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and he fled. He did not try to no, I can't, I can't do this. He did not try to, when temptation came, he ran from that temptation. There are areas in your life that you need to stop being close to, and you need to run from the temptation that is at hand. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 22, it says that you, we are to flee youthful lust, and that we are to pursue righteousness. So know areas of your life that are danger spots or know your weak spots. Uh, A team, a good coach will take his team and a coach is able to notice on his team maybe where some weak spots are. Um, As an opposing coach, you're looking at the other team thinking, where can we expose this team? Where can we find areas that we are superior and we can, we can find a way to beat them. Um, I've heard players, NFL players talk about, you know, going into games, you know who you're going up against and you know before the game even starts, uh, you have in your mind whether you can beat that guy that you're going up against. You know, I know what he likes to do. I know where his weaknesses are. I've watched film. I know his weaknesses and I'm going to try to try to get victory here. Many times we know the weaknesses in our lives, but we just act like they're not even there. We try to, we try to cover them or, or hide them. Instead, we ought to notice where are the temptations of my heart, the areas of sin that I am drawn to, and I need to run and guard against those areas. But then How to avoid falling into sin? Remember that all your sin is before God. Remember that all your sin is before God. Back to the example of Joseph. What did he say? He said, how can I sin and do this great wickedness before God? So that was a constant in Joseph's mind. How can I sin and do this great wickedness before God? So when you're facing temptation to say something you shouldn't, to think something you shouldn't, to look at something you shouldn't, to do something you know you shouldn't, is your first thought, how can I do this and sin against God? Or is it, who's going to hear? Or who's going to catch me in this? Knowing that my sin is always before God. But then, avoid falling into sin. Look for the escape that God has provided. In 1 Corinthians 
chapter 10 and verse 13, it says that uh, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So to say, I just can't get victory over this, we are not finding the escape that God has uh, given us in his word. God has given us victory over sin. But then we all also ought to commit to following God and his way. In Daniel, the book of Daniel, at the beginning of his life as a teenager, he's taken from his homeland in captivity And it says that Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself before God. That Daniel purposed in his heart that he was going to honor God. He was committing, making a commitment. Now, if we look at the the book of Daniel, we see at the very end of his his life, after living in a uh, heathen nation, in a sinful, under different heathen rulers, we see him staying true to that commitment that he had made back when he first was brought into captivity in the, in the account of Daniel and the lion's den. We see him at the end still staying true to what he had committed to God. So what is it that you need to commit to God? God, I am not going to do this. I am not going to. I'm committed to following you, not just being carried about by my own desires. God loves to answer our cry for help. And that's what we see here in Judges. The people finally, it was too much for them to bear. And they cried out to God and it says that God heard their cry for help. And he sent an answer. And that's what we we see here. So the situation for them was very bleak. There was much suffering going on because of their sin, because being in captivity. So God brought about the solution. Uh, Look now, if you will, uh, in Judges chapter 6 in verse 11. Judges 6, verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about saying, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours. So you see here, here he is, well, if the Lord is with us, then, then why is all of this coming upon us? Here he is hiding, and God says, you mighty man of valor. And, and Gideon asks this question, and the Lord responds with, go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Verse 15. So he said to him, O oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you and I sh- you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Then he said to him, if now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. 
Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from the ephah of flour and meat and put it in a basket and put it in broth in a pot. And he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. And the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was on in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, alas, O Lord God. For I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace. So here we see the solution that God raised up for the problem of the Israelites. He called a leader to lead his charge, to lead the charge of God. So God has some lessons in here of lessons uh, from God's leader. First lesson is God uses suffering to get our attention. God brought about great suffering in their life, and it took quite a bit of suffering to finally bring them to the point of crying out to him. And God uses suffering in our life to help get our attention, to help fix our focus back on him. You think of so many examples that God uses suffering to help us focus on him. You think of how the life of Jonah, how Jonah thought he was going to run from God. And you talk about suffering being in the, in the belly of a whale. I can't imagine the, the odor in that place. Finally, he cried out to God in the midst of his suffering and I will do as you commanded me to do. God wants to use suffering in our lives to help purify us. Think of how many have come to know Christ as their Savior because of suffering. Maybe it's physical suffering that has come upon them, uh, some sickness or a loved one, and God has used that to bring them to salvation, to open their eyes of this this life is not forever. I need to decide what's going to happen with eternity. Think of how many believers, and maybe you can think of examples in your life, that God has used suffering that you have faced, maybe persecution that you have faced, maybe being wrongfully accused of something, but suffering that you have faced to help purify your heart. And God uses suffering to get our attention. That's why James can say, count it all joy, my brethren, when you face trials of various kinds. Because God is in the process, in the work of all of that, and he is working it out for good in our lives and others as well. So what a wonderful blessing as, as believers that we can look, that even suffering God uses for his glory and his good. The world does not look at suffering as a positive, but as believers we can say God is using that. That's why Paul in Philippians could say, even my imprisonment, God is using to further the gospel being spread. Um, and even as was mentioned this morning of, of the missionary over in Germany that is facing this trial of lost financial support and is coming back to the States, 
Now the church there, Willie's church, is able to try to meet the, their need of suffering. And God is working in that to grow them as well. So God uses suffering to get our attention. And we also learn from this that God sees all. Think of this. Here, here you have Gideon hiding, doing his work. And he's hiding, hoping to save some of this grain so that his family won't starve, so that he won't starve, so that the enemy won't come in and take that and destroy. Here you have Gideon trying to hide, but God saw him. That's very comforting to know that, that God sees us where we are. As, as he was hiding, as he was probably uh, looking around, making sure nobody had seen him, God saw him the entire time. Um, in our in a kid devotional book that we've done, uh, it brought out the point of that God sees us. And one of the little kids in it said, man, that's kind of scary that God sees us all the time. And it does bring a sense of God sees me all the time. But the other kid said, wouldn't it be scarier if God couldn't see us all the time? If there were places where we could go that God could not see what was going on in our lives. And so know that God sees you where you are right now. Proverbs 5.21 says that the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. So you may say, no one else knows what is going on in my life right now. I don't have anyone that I can share this burden with, this struggle no one knows the fear that is gripping my heart and life. Know that God sees and he knows. But then we see from this that God not only sees, but God will be with you. What is it that he told Gideon? He said, you know, you mighty man of valor, uh, go and I will be with you. Verse 16, the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you and you shall defeat them. You shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Gideon, not because of you, but because I am going to be with you, you can have confidence going forward. God said, I will be with you. Uh, as we are um, passing out these cards and as we're trying to be reminded to look for opportunities to plant seeds, maybe, uh, maybe it's passing out a card. Maybe it's sharing the gospel with someone another way. Maybe it's praying with someone. As we carry out the great commission, what is it God told them? Lo, I will be with you even to the end of the world. God said, I will be with you. And what a wonderful promise we have in Hebrews that he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So as Gideon took great comfort, God, I can't do this. You know why? Uh, why are you calling me to do this? I can't accomplish this and took comfort in knowing that God said, I will be with you. Know also that God is with you, that as a believer, God has given his spirit and he is with you. He will guide you. He will direct you through whatever he calls you to. He does not call you and say, OK, now good luck with it. Uh, I've called you to this great mission. Now I've given you your marching orders. I, I've given you this and that. Now, good luck. You're on your own. What a dreadful thought that that would be if God, if God said, okay, I've, I've given you this. Now go away and see if you can, you can accomplish this. 
No, he said, I will be with you. So as Gideon is sitting there uh, hiding in fear with great enemy who he's seen destroy his homeland, seen destroy his loved ones, crops, home, God says, I will be with you. Take comfort in this. So just as God promised Gideon, we don't need to live by fear as believers because God is with us. If he calls you to go and talk to that neighbor who looks incredibly scary, you know, he looks like the the old guy with the shovel on home alone. If you've ever seen that, just terrified. And God says, you need to go talk to that neighbor who never smiles at you, never looks friendly. You need to go talk to that neighbor and share the good news of salvation with them. Know that God is with you. He is not going to call you to do something that he is not going to to empower you to accomplish. And that brings us to our next point, that success is dependent on God, not on you or your ability. You look at Gideon's ability. He was not like, man, I just I just need a mission. I just need somebody to, to tell me what to do, and I'll go out and whip them. No. Gideon, what did he point out? He pointed out in verse 15, he said, How can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. How can I do this? I am, I am the, the weakest of the weak. My, my family doesn't, isn't a great, big, powerful family. Uh, and I'm the weakest of them. How are you calling me? Are you sure you have the right guy here? Are you sure you didn't mean somebody else? God loves to use the weak to help show forth his greatness. Think of David when Samuel came to anoint the king and they started bringing out the son. Oh, surely this one is the king. Look, I mean, he looks like a king. He's he's big and strong and handsome. He has to. Nope, that's not who I've chosen. Goes down the next. Okay, maybe this guy. Do you have any more sons? Because we've gone through the whole. Well, there is that one scrawny one out in the field. And that's who God had chosen to be the next king of his people. God chooses the weak. Uh, it says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27, Hath not God chosen the weak things of this world to put to shame the things which are mighty? God chooses to use those who are weak to show forth his greatness. You, so if God chose Gideon, who he said was the weakest, and God equipped him and empowered him, if God has called you to do something, he will empower you. Look at the life of Moses when God called Moses. Moses made all sorts of excuses. I can't, I can't talk well or, you, you know, get somebody else. God said, I don't make mistakes, Moses. If I ch- called you to do this, I will do it. And that's what Gideon had to learn here too, that success is dependent on God, not on me or you or our abilities. So whatever God is calling you to do, maybe it's, God is calling you to lead your family in uh, family devotions every day. And you're like, man, I don't, I don't feel like I'm prepared or equipped or ready to do something like that. Maybe it's God calling you to submit to an authority that you're like, 
I don't know if I can actually submit to this authority and, and do it with a good attitude, a pleasing attitude. God will equip you to accomplish what he has called you to do. Just as a carpenter is able to, uh, when they do work, so I've been told, they're able to see, oh, I can see where I made a mistake there, and they learn how to cover mistakes, right? A good carpenter can cover their mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. A good carpenter can cover them. God sees us, as we know. He knows us. He knows our weaknesses because he made us. And nothing is hidden from him, but God wants to take that weakness and use it for his glory if we will submit to him. So success is dependent on God. And then we learn from Gideon that God is patient. Look at how he deals with Gideon and his questions that he raises. And God is very patient in dealing with him. Uh, He doesn't say, slap Gideon around. Gideon, get your act together. Look, you're talking, you're talking to the Lord. Um, I'm going to help you through this. He is very patient in waiting and, uh, we won't look at it, but later on in this chapter where, um, he wants to be certain that God is, is going to be with him to give him victory. And, uh, Satan or Satan, uh, Gideon places down the the fleece to to make sure he wants to be beyond the shadow of doubt certain that God will give him the victory. And God patiently deals with Gideon in this. He, He is patient in his reassurance. And know that God is patient. How many things... Um, has God, how many times has God patiently dealt with you and I? You know, we can read this passage and sometimes look at Gideon and say like, okay, come on, Gideon, get the point. You know, you're, God's, God's speaking to you and you're still like, are you sure I'm going to have victory? Are you sure? But how many things has God clearly spelled out in his word for me to follow? And I still doubt and I still, are you sure this is true? Are you sure this is right? How many things and areas am I not trusting, but God is patiently dealing with me as well? So God is very patient in his dealings with us. But then we see God loves obedience. God loves obedience. So after uh, after God speaks to him here, um, in verse 26, says that he built, built an altar to the Lord. In verse... Um, 25. Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the wooden image that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock and in the proper arrangement and take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice of wood uh, of the wood of the image which was cut down. So Gideon took the ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's house and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. Now here we see fear was still gripping his heart. But fear is not an excuse for us not to obey. Fear is an opportunity for us to show faith and to obey. I've heard it said before, courage is not the absence of fear, but courage is being terrified and doing what is right no matter what. 
So courage is not being without fear. That doesn't take courage. Courage is being filled with fear and doing what is right. And God loves obedience. In 1 Samuel 15 and verse 22, it reminds us that God loves obedience more than sacrifice. And sacrifice is a sweet aroma to the Lord. So God loves obedience and he will reward obedience. So we see then that God brings about the salvation. Uh, We're not going to look at it tonight for the sake of time, but I encourage you to go and read the rest of Judges chapter 6 and Judges chapter 7 because God uses Gideon to accomplish a great victory for his honor and glory. And he takes Gideon's army down to 300 men and he goes up against 135,000 and God brings victory. Now look at verse two. This is where God is uh, bringing the army army down to smaller numbers. And he said, and the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim the glory for itself against me, saying, Mine own hand has saved me. So God says, I need to get it down to 300. Otherwise, they're going to say, hey, look how strong and powerful we are. We were able to beat this large army. If I get it down to that small of a number, they're going to have to acknowledge God delivered them into our hands. So God loves to get put us in situations that show only God could have accomplished this. He loves to bring about the salvation. In Psalm 3 and verse 8, it says that, Be reminded that salvation belongs to the Lord. So when the victory is won, do not say, Oh, look what I was able to do. See, in spite of my weakness and failures, God was able to achieve the victory because success is dependent on him and not on me. So, God wants you to have victory in your life, whatever he is calling you to, that he may, might receive the glory. And just as God was faithful to Gideon, he will be faithful to you and I because he is unchanging and you and I can trust him. Let's pray. Lord, what a wonderful lesson the life of Gideon is. Uh, an amazing story of your power. Lord, we know that nothing is too hard for you. And we see that clearly in, in this, of calling how you often call the weakest to accomplish your mission. Lord, we thank you for your working in our hearts. Lord, there's areas in every one of our lives tonight that we need to step out in faith, even though fear is gripping our lives and obey that we need to do what is right no matter what the circumstances or consequences lord you have promised us the victory through your power the victory over sin uh, we have victory over death because of what you have done so help us to live in that victory tonight in jesus name i pray amen let's uh stand together and i'm going to ask jason to come